Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I'm Jordan Jones. Yes, Purdue basketball did just take down Hofstra, but that is the last thing on anyone's mind right now. For the first time in this podcast's history, it's coaching search time. Jeff Brom has taken the Louisville job, as was widely expected, and now Purdue is looking for a new football coach to replace one of the better ones in school history. Here on the show today, we're going to talk about the Purdue job. We're going to talk about some potential candidates. And we'll talk a little bit about Jeff Brom's legacy at Purdue here on the show today. If you don't already, be sure to follow the show on Twitter at Boilers Beyond. I'll be there tweeting updates whenever I see something, hear something related to this coaching search the whole time. It is going to be a busy one. I think it's going to be a fairly quick one, which means it's going to be action-packed. Uh, you're going to want to follow along on Twitter. Come join the conversation. Tweet at me your thoughts. You know, What do you think about the job? Who do you want to see Purdue go get? All of that stuff. You know, always fun to interact with you all. So at Boilers Beyond on Twitter, come hang out, join the conversation there. You know, look, I'm recording this Wednesday night. Jeff Brom left about 10 hours ago at this point was when the report started to come out. And this should not have come as a surprise to anybody. You know, this was this was rumored for a long time. This was one that around the Lafayette, West Lafayette area was a pretty poorly kept secret that Jeff Brom and the Brom family were ready to get back to Louisville. Uh, if you're you know on the message boards, there was some pretty constant conversation about this being a possibility. The whole issue and the whole holdup was Scott Satterfield at Louisville. Early on this year, it looked like he was a dead man walking, but they went on a win streak. They finished seven and five. And while that probably would have been good enough to where the optics didn't necessitate firing him or where the optics couldn't have gone well if they fired him, Satterfield leaving for Cincinnati was a move that certainly nobody at Louisville balked at. Uh, they were able to now get their favorite son, uh, get their favorite family back to Louisville. And look, you know, the quote over the summer said it all. After the 2018 season, it was too early to leave. Uh, that's how Jeff Brom felt. I don't know that that's how the Brom family necessarily felt, but that's how Jeff Brom felt. And it was probably the right, that was probably the truth. That would have been awfully early. But now, after six years, it certainly is not. I think really this whole move could have been done last year had Louisville decided to move on from Satterfield. I think there were plenty of people at Louisville ready to do it. I think Jeff Brom was ready to do it. But for whatever reason, it did not go through. Uh, it got held up. It went another year. And really... You know, the the home poll is just something that Purdue was never going to be able to match. And I know, you know, the logic from every argument that Jeff Brom wouldn't leave is 
Big Ten money, you know, the ACC's not as prestigious, the money's not there. Look, the report out there from Chris Lowe, I think, was six-year, $35 million. It's $6 million a year. It's not a family that seems like they just burn through money. At what point is 5 to $6 million just enough? I don't think this is a money play at all. I think Purdue could have thrown more money down if they really wanted, but I don't know that that would have kept Jeff Brom at Purdue. I know that the Big Ten is a tougher conference, but you know maybe the ACC is a little bit more winnable, especially with USC and UCLA joining the Big Ten. That doesn't make it easier. And at the end of the day, I don't think this is as much of a referendum on Purdue of Jeff Brom wanting to leave Purdue as much as it is a he's ready to return to Louisville thing. And that point, there's nothing Purdue could have done to stop this. When it opened up on Monday, this thing was a done deal. Uh, that press conference with Jeff Brom and Mike Babinski was awkward as hell. Uh, you could tell Jeff Brom, I would... I don't know if he had told Mike Babinski he was leaving at that point. Probably not. But Mike Babinski knew absolutely well that Jeff Brom would not be coaching in the bowl game. I am very surprised that Brian Brom was named the interim coach for the bowl game. Um, I don't think that's going to go well. If we're just being honest here, I don't think that's going to go very well. I don't think this is going to be a great bowl performance from Purdue. But... You know, as you look at this job now, it's open for the first time since 2016. In 2016, there were some very, very legitimate questions about this job that Purdue had no proof of concept how to answer. At that time, the the Kozich Performance Center or Complex or whatever the name is, that was not open yet. It was being constructed but it wasn't open yet. You now have that. That is a good facility. You have the indoor uh, the indoor field. You have a quality facility uh, for the football program to fall back on. You now have the dining facility going in in the north end zone. Everything from that standpoint, a facility standpoint, is a lot better than it was in 2016. The stadium has been vastly updated. You know, the they had the tiny little video board that Mike Babinski kind of said they never knew if it was going to turn on or not. And then they had the ancient relic that was the North End Zone scoreboard at that point. In 2016, they didn't have lights on the stadium. Uh, that's all been changed. You know, you have the massive video board. You have the nice-looking ribbon board. Uh, they're redoing the tunnel area and the south end zone. You know, from just a facility point as a whole, looking at the stadium, that's gotten better. Financially, Purdue has invested in football in a way they haven't before. You know, you look at the past. Part of the big issue with Joe Tiller was that his staff didn't get enough money. He lost a lot of really good assistants. When Purdue hired Danny Hope, it was the ultimate inexpensive play. Uh, he was making less than a million dollars. Daryl Hazel was a bad hire, but it's not like $2 million was some big investment into the football program. 
And there's no doubt that Purdue's lack of investment absolutely hampered that 2012 search now a decade ago. But Daryl Hazel was far from Purdue's first choice there. Their lack of investment really hurt them then. Uh, that's completely changed now. Jeff Brom came in making over $3 million a year. That quickly jumped to over seven after the 2018 uh, flirtation with Louisville. Assistant coaches have gotten some raises in recent years. Purdue is clearly invested in football at a financial level more than it ever has been. And I think it's really important you have some proof of concept as it relates to winning. You know, when this job was open last, Purdue had gone nine and was it nine and thirty six, nine and thirty nine, nine and thirty nine, I think, over the past four years. That isn't, you know, you had to look at that and wonder what could happen. What really was the ceiling of Purdue at that point? Now, you know, Jeff Brom has turned that into a program that just won eight games back-to-back years, won the Big Ten West, got to Indianapolis. You have some proof of concept that you can get things done at Purdue. Now, it is fair to wonder in the new Big Ten how this job exactly stacks up. There are some really, really good jobs in this conference. Uh, You look at Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, clearly. USC, clearly. Wisconsin, Nebraska, Michigan State. I mean, there are a lot of jobs in this conference that you would probably look at and say are better than Purdue. It's probably not a top top half job, but it's very competitive. Uh, You have really strong fan support. That's not something that some other programs in the same ballpark of Purdue can say. A lot of empty seats over at Memorial Stadium when Purdue was there this year at Illinois. Ditto down in Bloomington. Uh, Minnesota doesn't quite get those sold-out crowds the way Purdue has the last couple years. So you've seen Purdue have some great fan support. The money is obviously there. Uh, It's a Big Ten job. You know what that new media rights deal looks like. Purdue does have a strong group of donors in the John Purdue Club. So the money is there. You have to ask what the ceiling is. And that's important for whoever Purdue hires. It doesn't matter if they go the group of five route, if they can poach a power five coach, if they get a hot shot assistant, an up-and-comer. You know, however it goes, you have to have reasonable expectations here. One of the talking points about Jeff Brom leaving is did Purdue kind of hit that ceiling the last couple years? Because if that's the case, if that's how Jeff Brom felt, then getting out is the smartest thing to do. Once you've hit your ceiling, people get impatient really quickly. Now, I don't know that I necessarily agree that Purdue is completely maxed out at ceiling. I think a certain level of consistency and doing that year over year is important. But there's no doubt, when the divisions go away after next season, when you have a 16-team league with USC and UCLA, and some of the non-conference schedules you have lined up for the future, it's not easy. Uh, this is not, you know, This is not a place where you're going to walk in and win 10 games every year. Purdue's won 10 games once ever. Purdue hasn't finished the season in the top 25 
since 2003, and since 2007, Purdue spent one week ranked in the top 25. So, you know, there there's a ways to go, but from an overall record standpoint, eight and four is pretty good. Uh, nine and three is unreal, and six and six, seven and five, I think that's acceptable. Um, you want to have those high ceilings, you want to have those good years, but six and six, seven and five can't really be a bad year. The biggest question to me is Purdue's financial investment here and what that means for who they can hire. You know, I've got coaches to watch here after this point, but Jeff Brom made over five million when he was at Purdue. And when they signed him to that deal in 2018, following the first Louisville gate, Louisville watch, however you want to put it, that was a top 10 deal in the country. It is not even close to a top 10 deal in the country anymore. Uh, It has been blown out of the park. If you look at the Big Ten alone, you know, Matt Rule just got $9 million. Luke Fickle just got about almost $8 million. I think 7.9. Mel Tucker got $9.5 million. Now, that one's probably a bit nuts, but these are the numbers you're dealing with. You know what Ryan Day is making. You know what Jim Harbaugh, James Franklin are making. You know, that $5 million is pretty status quo in the Big Ten. Like I saw P.J. Fleck just got to bump up to $6 million. So how ready is Purdue to go go spend money? I mean, are they willing to put big, you know, a 6 to 7 to $8 million deal on the table to try to get a Power 5 coach away? I don't know. I I I don't know what to expect there. Uh, I think <clears throat> assistant coach salary pools absolutely are going to be a discussion. You know, we saw this across the the Big Ten West. Purdue's coordinators are not paid the way other schools' coordinators are. You look at uh, Ryan Walters over at Illinois. He's a million dollar defensive coordinator. Purdue doesn't have that. Now, it helped that. You had Brian Brom as your offensive coordinator, probably get a little bit of a family discount there. But how open is Purdue to blowing up the coaching salaries a little bit for assistance and for the head coach? You know, is is five million the floor? Would they like to get below that? I don't know. But Purdue's financial willingness here is going to be really important to watch. You know, looking at coaches to watch here. And it's not easy to necessarily look at this and just have some great list of guys. Uh, there is certainly no go-to guy here that jumps off the page as makes sense. Absolutely, he is your guy that is can't miss. Not that there was in 2016 either. Purdue certainly had Jeff Brom high up, but from an outside perspective... There was no go-to guy. I've got three categories here. Group of five, power five, and then some coordinators. Um, these are guys who I, I think are worth calling. I think are worth pursuing. Uh, I'm not. These aren't in an order of my preference. Just kind of a list here. But I will say, you know, in the group of five level, I think the top guy I would be interested in is Tyson Helton 
from Western Kentucky, which would be funny enough, getting another Western Kentucky guy back-to-back times that would be. But he's kind of the same deal as Jeff Brom. You know, a big offense. A quor- he was the quarterback's coach in OC, along with Brian Brom, when Jeff was at Kentucky or Western Kentucky. So it it's a similar hire to what Jeff Brom was, but you know he's a younger guy. He's in his forties, a high energy coach. I think he makes a lot of sense. Willie Fritz at Tulane has done a really nice job in not a very easy spot to win. Uh, Tulane certainly has its academic restrictions that make that job a little bit more difficult. Um, I I think he's clearly an excellent coach. The downside is there aren't a lot of Midwest ties there. I don't know that that's what it used to be in terms of importance, but you would have to create a staff that has some ties to the area. Jason Candle at Toledo is an interesting one to me. Now, Toledo's one of the better jobs in the MAC. So it helps when you are at a, one of the better jobs in your area. Uh, but I think he's a name to keep an eye on. He's one there. Jeff Trailer at UTSA is another big offense type of guy, but he kind of tweeted out tonight that he's not interested in other jobs. Um, of course, that doesn't always mean much, but I don't know that I see that. He's a Texan through and through as well. I don't know about the fit. And then I'll go Kane Womack from South Alabama, Um, a guy who I didn't initially think of. He's young. He is defensive-minded, which I don't have a lot of guys on here that I'm I'm real comfortable with that are defensive-minded. He was at Indiana as an assistant. He was at South Alabama as the head coach, has them winning well. He's a guy who I could absolutely see being kind of that hot shot coach who, if it's not this cycle where he gets a job, it'll be the next one. The power five job flips are where I'm incredibly intrigued to see if, see where Purdue can go here. Again, I don't know that this is all that realistic. It's going to take a lot of money to do this and it's got to take interest. I thought Chris Vanini from The Athletic had a really good point about this Purdue job. You know, yes, it is a Big Ten job. There is Big Ten money, but it's not as appealing as Wisconsin and Nebraska, and that's certainly true. But we will. this is kind of a barometer here to see how much pull that Big Ten money really has. Um, I'm going to be fascinated to see. If Purdue can get one of these guys, though, I I, I think you've got to be pretty happy with that. I think that's a hire that is about the name. Not necessarily about the name, but it brings a big-time name with it. And that's something that would get fans excited. You know, I do know for a lot of folks, a group of five coach just coming in probably wouldn't get people all that fired up. You look at some of these power five names that I'm interested in. Number one for me would be Chris Kleiman at Kansas State. The guy has won everywhere he's been. North Dakota State, he absolutely dominated. Goes to Kansas State, which I think is a pretty tough job. I know they're in state, they're the better of their two in state programs, but outside of Bill Snyder, Kansas State's never done a thing. 
he just won a Big 12 championship there. You wonder if he has that kind of feeling that Jeff Brom may have had, that I accomplished all I can accomplish here, time to move on. If that's the case, you take a Brinks truck to Manhattan and go get him because he is a heck of a coach. I think Matt Campbell at Iowa State is a really interesting one. You know, two years ago, he was on top of the world. He just got into Iowa State to a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, the last two years haven't been as planned. I think they went 7-6 and six last year before 4-8 and eight this year. Iowa State is as tough of a Power 5 job as there is. That one is a really, really tough spot to win. He's won there. Uh, he's not some big offense guy, but I think his coaching prowess is well-established. Dave Doran's been at North Carolina State for a while now. You wonder if he'd be ready to move on. Uh, he was obviously a big target of Purdue's back in 2012 that they missed out. But you wonder if they would kind of look at that opportunity. As well as Dave Clawson at Wake Forest. He brings a very different offensive philosophy. That slow mesh is really, really something. I would worry a little bit about how that would play in the Big Ten West, a very physical league. But, you know, the guy can clearly coach. Winning at Wake, another place that's not easy to win, and he's done it at. I wonder about Jed Fish at Arizona. He'd be he'd be a risk. Uh, his record is not good. He inherited a dumpster fire. He inherited that from Kevin Sumlin, who is a name that, Gets thrown out there because he's a Purdue alum. I absolutely cannot see that one. Uh, that one makes very little sense to me. I don't No, For the life of me, I don't see that one. And I don't see Jed Fish either. Just a name to keep an eye on, really. Um, just kind of throwing stuff out there. But those are some of the main ones. You know, Kleiman, uh, Campbell. Dave Doran, Dave Clawson. I mean, these are guys who, if the Big Ten money is the Big Ten money and you want to go spend it and you get some interest there, that's a job. Those are jobs that you can buy someone out of, more or less. I don't know that I think Purdue will go the coordinator route. They really haven't in a while, depending on how you categorize uh, Danny Hope. I mean, I guess he did have did have experience before as a head coach for a very uh, very brief period of time, but you know he was an assistant for the most part. He was an offensive line coach, a coordinator though. Jim Leonard is again keep an eye on him. I don't know about defensive-minded guys. That's where the hang-up would be, if you ask me. You'd want to have a really good plan on the offensive side of the ball, especially coming from a program that wasn't all that good on offense. But I, I think he's an interesting name. Garrett Riley would probably be my favorite coordinator potential. Um, he's very young. He's like 33 years old, won the Broyles Award this year. He's an unbelievable offensive mind. Uh, he can, He's done some awesome things there. He's kind of got the genes, uh, being Lincoln Riley's brother. 
that would be a pretty interesting one. Bill O'Brien's a name that gets thrown out there. I don't know that I see it. Um, I think Nick Saban would love that. Nick Saban would drive him to West Lafayette himself, but I don't know that I necessarily see that one being a fantastic fit. Um, just cause you know, things haven't gone well at Alabama after they really didn't go well at the Houston Texans. There's been a major player push on social media for Jamarcus Shepard, uh, former Purdue wide receiver coach. Now he's the wide receivers coach, co-OC out at Washington. It's interesting. Um, I, I wouldn't have thought of it. I don't know that I necessarily see it, but he is an Indiana native. He is, um, you know, he's young. He's a strong recruiter, energized. Uh, he's someone who I think certainly should be in play for the offensive coordinator spot, especially if Purdue hires an offensive-minded guy. Um, I think that would be interesting. I don't know that I see him as the head coach. Um, that's kind of my list. I mean, I know that's a lot of names. I think Helton's kind of your guy. Um, Womack in there as well. With the Power Five names, I know folks are going to say Kalen DeBoer. I don't know that you can get him away from Washington. Uh, you know, some of the programs that... I think if Purdue really threw some money on the table, you could get some, you could outbid someone would be a Kansas state an Iowa state an NC state a Wake forest. I don't know that you can do that at a Washington. Uh, they've got some pretty legit money, uh, even though they're in the pac 12. I don't see that one as much. Uh, Dan Mullen being out of the, being out of coaching. I, I apprehend that guys who, are notedly not all that interested in recruiting because at Purdue you're going to have to recruit like hell. Uh, guys aren't going to fall into your lap. If Daryl Hazel wasn't the ultimate proof of that, I don't know what was. He was an Ohio State guy who at Ohio State, especially under Jim Tressel, when they just really recruited regionally, they could swoop in at the last minute and land a guy. That's not how it is at Purdue Purdue has to hire someone who's very energetic and strong as a recruiter. That's my list for now. Uh, obviously, we'll keep updating moving forward. We'll keep talking about it on here, on Twitter. Wanted to close a little bit today talking about Jeff Brom's legacy at Purdue because that's going to be the main point here. And, you know, in fairness... It certainly could be viewed as a negative towards this if he goes and takes current players or flips recruits to Louisville. That's part of it. Uh, that's life in the bigs. I don't really blame Jeff. If players are wanting to come with him to Louisville too, you know, so be it. Um, in general, the timing on this is pretty good for everybody. You look back at 2018, and the timing would have been really difficult. Uh, there was clear reason to be excited about the immediate future at Purdue. You know, Jeff Brom was landing the best recruiting class in recent memory at Purdue at that point with David Bell, George Karloftis, Milton Wright, uh, Marvin Grant was in that year, I believe, Jalen Graham. Really loaded group that year. Um, just a fantastic, fantastic recruiting class. 
there was a lot left to do. You know, that year finished so strong. Purdue started 0-3, finished 6-6. There was a lot of optimism there. Louisville was kind of a mess. Um, It wasn't a good time for them. In two years, just isn't all that long. Uh, it, It wouldn't have worked then. Now, it's year six. I guess year six is over. Jeff Brom has brought Purdue to the top of the Big Ten West. He's gotten them over some rivals. Uh, He got them, realistically, as far as you could have ever hoped for when he took the job over in December of 2016. I think when you look ahead to next year, it's a very natural spot to reset. Next year's roster doesn't look to be all that great. Let's be honest here. Purdue loses a ton, and I I think it sounds like there's going to be some legitimate portal turnover as well. You know, you just saw Spencer Holstead transfer. Uh, He's not going to be the last one, but losing starters like that, established starters, certainly a reason for concern. So you combine that with a really brutal 2023 schedule, and I think it's a natural time for Jeff Brom to look to get out. And at the from a Purdue perspective, you had a you have a great coach in Jeff Brom who is now gone. And that hurts. You know, let's not act like this is a great thing for Purdue because hiring coaches is is difficult. This is at best a 50-50 proposition. Whether it's going to get better, whether it's going to get worse. It's not easy to improve on eight and four seasons. You have some infrastructure in place, and if you nail the hire, you can. But it's easy to go backwards as well. This isn't ideal for Purdue, but at some point, having your head coach connected to all to another job constantly, that couldn't sustain. I don't know how Jeff Brom handled that in recruiting, but you know it had to be used against Purdue like crazy. Uh, And granted, you know, if you look at the pure recruiting rankings of the classes, maybe that has been an impact. I I don't know. But Louisville rumors had to die one way or another. And if Satterfield hadn't left and came into next season on on the status he was after this, it would have been another probably even more of a season full of Jeff Brom to Louisville talk. Are they going to fire him? All of that. He accomplished everything Purdue could have hoped for. They're a Big Ten West champion. He went over 500, both in Big Ten and overall, over the course of his six years. Uh, that that seemed like a long shot. Uh, that really did. He brought a competitive mindset right away to a program that needed it. The program was non-competitive for a long time before that. And right away, he came in there and he changed the mentality. That 2017 season, in my eyes, will always be a bit of a minor miracle because you saw what that roster did. And yes, you know, he brought over some guys from Western Kentucky. He brought in some uh, junior college guys that really helped. But man, that roster was was not a six-win go to the bowl game and win it type of roster against a guy like Khalil Tate, especially. Uh, that was one of the more fun seasons I can remember. 
2018, you know, same deal. Uh, you, you only went six and six, but the way you did it was so fun. Uh, you had big wins against Ohio State. You went to Nebraska and won, which felt big at the time. Beating Iowa at home. Beating Indiana to win the bucket, go to a bowl again. There were some downtimes. You know, the 2019-2020 seasons, those weren't fun. Uh, there, People weren't happy at that point, but he bounced back right away. And now, you know, over the past two seasons... Nine and four, eight and five. That's pretty good. Uh, when you look at what's real at Purdue, eight win seasons aren't exactly a dime a dozen. That's not, you know, you can open up Purdue's football reference page, and with the exception of 97 to 2006, there aren't a lot of eight win seasons on there. So y- you look at the big wins, building momentum for the program. You know, 2018 Ohio State was unforgettable. Uh, One of the greatest moments in Purdue history. You had a pair of top five wins last year in 2021. And I don't, I know Iowa and Michigan State were not legitimately five, you know, in the five best teams in the country. But still, you know, that brings attention. You had that bowl game win over Tennessee, which, I mean, Purdue fans are never going to forget that. You had some awesome moments in there. You had some real talent. You know, one of the one of the things that Purdue had their pride in for so long was their Super Bowl streak. They had a Purdue player in the Super Bowl for so, so long. And after, you know, eight years of Danny Hope and Daryl Hazel combining to not put much talent in the NFL, that streak ended. But you're looking at what Purdue's doing now. You know, Rondale Moore, David Bell, George Karloftis, there are a lot of guys who are just a bit of a notch below as well. Guys who have been really good. You look at a Jawan Bentley sticking around in the NFL. Uh, you look at a, a Derek Barnes off to a good start. Um, guys who project to get there. Uh, uh, Jalen Graham. You know, that there's a bit more of an influx of that type of talent that makes things exciting. The last six seasons, as a whole, have been phenomenal for Purdue. And what they got back was their fan base. You know, part of the reason Danny Hope was fired after going 6-6 six and six back-to-back years was because fan apathy had reached a really high level. Attendance was down. The passion was fading that was there for the Joe Tiller years. And unfortunately... To say they whiffed on the next hire is an understatement. And the apathy exploded. Uh, Fans just really lost interest in Purdue football. That changed right away. You saw it the last two seasons with unreal attendance. You saw it early on, though. You know, in that first season, that Michigan game almost sold out. That Indiana game, I think, did sell out when Purdue won that to go to a bowl game. I mean... That went as well as you possibly could have hoped. He got the university to invest in football. And that comes from the university seeing proof of concept. Seeing that, hey, this could work. That really helps. That made this job a lot better for his successor. You know, there's no perfect way to leave a job. And the way this opened up, the way this happened, probably not ideal. 
But I'll say this, just from a Purdue perspective, you should probably be glad it didn't happen last week. You got to enjoy the Big Ten championship game without it. Now, you know, look, it's going to overshadow the bowl, no doubt, but you're on to a new new coach. You kind of knew it was coming. I think Mike Babinski knew this was coming to a certain degree. This shouldn't have been a surprise. I think Purdue should be ready to act pretty quickly. I don't know when they will have a new coach announced, but it wouldn't be surprising. You know, I'm recording this Wednesday night. It wouldn't surprise me if by this time next week, Purdue's got their guy. Uh, That wouldn't surprise me at all. You'll want to be sure to follow on Twitter at Boilers Beyond for plenty of news, updates, all of that. I will plan to be back here on Sunday night. Uh, We'll talk about Nebraska, Purdue, Nebraska, and basketball. We'll talk about, I don't know, there wasn't that much to talk about from Hofstra when Purdue got up 20 to to 2 or whatever, and then eh, defense fell off, but they finished okay. Um, We'll talk some basketball. We'll talk coaching search. Uh, We'll see what's new. If I got to jump on for an emergency pod before then, we will do it. Uh, We'll do whatever we need to do here, but uh, we'll be back later this week excuse me, be back next week with more content coverage. Subscribe so you don't miss any of that. And until then, guys, enjoy your flight tracking software of choice.